Welcome, welcome friends. We're back with another episode. It's episode 68 today, and we are calling it Teaching the Kid and Not the Lesson. In this time of homeschooling and figuring out education without a school to help us out for our kids, um, it's really important that we're focusing on our child and what each of them needs and not necessarily on the material that we're trying to teach them, especially if this material is being given to us by someone who's not at home with us and seeing what our kids need. We've got so many great uh, little gems of wisdom in this episode. I hope you love it as much as we do, and I hope it gives you some actionable content for improving relationships and just having a great time being with your kids at home. Hello, and welcome to Outnumber the Podcast. I'm Bonnie. And I'm Audrey. We're experienced moms to a combined total of 18 children. Our mission is to help overwhelmed parents find peace in parenting and humor in the chaos. Come join us as we attempt uninterrupted conversation about parenting with joy and intention. All right, and so now we're going to talk to you about our topic today, which is teach the kid, not the lesson. And before we get started, Bonnie's going to start us off with a humor segment. Yeah, this is some more potty humor for you guys. We know how much you like it (laughs) because we're moms, right? (laughs) So this comes from Candy underscore Kane on Instagram. She says, I just found out why my boy's bathroom stinks and I feel like running away. My five-year-old was using the inside of the shower curtain to wipe. Oh. (laughs) Wipe his bottom. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Good times. She says, I would religiously clean the toilet daily to get rid of the smell and could not figure out why it wasn't working. (laughs) And then she says, so I called his dad at work to tell him I found the source of smell. I tell the one guilty of this awfulness to come and tell dad what yucky thing he did. He said, I pooped on the curtain in a small childlike guilty way. (laughs) (laughs) I was waiting to hear his dad reprimand him, but instead, instead, dad starts busting out laughing. (laughs) I guess when you put it that way, it's hilarious and disgusting at the same time. (laughs) So there you go, guys. If that if something dis- equally disgusting has ever happened to you, you are not alone. Oh my goodness! So that's funny because we, um, I was just teaching. I I don't know. I'm probably way behind on this, but I was just teaching my five year old how to wipe himself when he goes to the bathroom because his oldest brother was giving him a hard time that he was going to be 21 and mom's still going to be wiping your butt. <laughs> <laughs> You know what, though? I just have to say, if you care about the state of your laundry or, you know, the towels or whatever, like, I would much rather hold on control of something like that for too long <laughs> than not long enough. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because, ew, oh. they just don't do a good job. It's true. Right. And they don't really care when they're boys. They, no, they, they, they just do seem not. not to care. Moving on, today we're going to be talking about teaching the kid and not the lesson. And we're going to just about to explain what we mean by this. But we're going to teach you three reasons why to teach your kid. Yeah, and then we're going to talk about three different ways how to make this happen. Make sure that your lessons are going to teach the child and you're not teaching the lesson. And then we'll share specific examples from our own homeschools and our our own experience. So what we mean by teach the kid, not the lesson, is that when when you're homeschooling, when you're teaching your kid, when you're helping them with your homework, if you're focused on the lesson, maybe there's going to be some frustration that the lesson isn't getting through to the kid or they're not um, 
there's some tension between you and the kid. But if you focus on teaching the kid and your focus is on your child and what they're learning, then a whole bunch of um, benefits are going to be coming out of it. Right. I find it so interesting that we say, we're going, I'm going to teach math or I'm going to teach science. Um, and we get what we're saying, right? We're going to help the kids understand this math or science um, lesson. But when we say it like that, it makes you stop and think, okay, am I just spewing math facts or science facts? Or am I taking the child that is supposed to be learning and finding a way for him to embrace and to love this material? That is the biggest mindset shift that we can offer new or reluctant or forced homeschoolers, right? Is to shift from teaching the material to teaching the child. Right. Exactly. That's what I was trying to say. You put it so eloquently. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So the first experience or first little story we want to share with you guys is uh, one that we call the baby is the lesson. So we love uh, this one homeschool resource. It's called, the website is called lovetolearn.net. We'll link it below. We'll link to this article as well. And um, it's a a family-run homeschool business, and um, they're just amazing people. I've looked up to the mom for a while. She she used to write blog articles all the time and always had something beneficial to say. And she wrote an article about how she was a young mom and really concerned over how she was going to get to all the homeschooling that was coming. She had another baby on the way. They have a really big family and was just stressed out. And she says she was going on a walk, just kind of stewing and in despair. And pondering over this dilemma. And all of a sudden she said that God sent a message to her mind. Like she just had this thought. And the thought was, the baby is the lesson. And she said she immediately understood that to mean that the homeschool aspect of her stress, the the teaching and the learning, is not what her family should be focusing on. It should be focusing on the caring and rearing of this beautiful baby that was going to come to their home. And that if she didn't get to the certain number of, you know, science lessons she had planned, that was not nearly as essential as learning to live as a family. And I just love that lesson because I think about it all the time. Every time I'm stressed out about this or that or this or that, I'm thinking, but are we just learning, you know, the, the basic facts of life and caring for each other and, and, and living together as a family? And so anyway, we'll link to that. But it's, it's such a good reminder that um, there's so much more important than just that lesson you're focusing on that day. Right, right. Because they may or may not use the education things that they're learning later in life, but they will need the relationship and the family experience and lessons no matter what they do later in their life. So, you know, we can't replicate a public school setting and try to pretend that the baby and the dirty dishes and the laundry isn't there because it's there. (laughs) Home isn't public school. And so trying to create, recreate a public school setting just isn't going to work very well. So we need to, um, just kind of let that model go because we're not in public school. And a lot of the constraints of public school are there and set up because of the number of children that are being taught at one time. And so that does, um, that is the reason for a lot of the structure and the way that things are laid out, but that's not us. So we need to lay out our homeschool day and set up our, our structure or our schedule or our method to, reflect that we are at home and we are a family and um, teaching it (laughs) and not trying to pretend that, you know, it's school in the living room. Yeah, exactly. A a little bit farther down in this article, uh, the author is Diane Hopkins, in case anyone's curious, but she talks about how 
uh, she was inadvertently teaching her children the value of her children by by her of her little children by acting in frustration every time a baby or toddler interrupted a lesson. Right? Um, she was focused so much on the material that she was kind of inadvertently showing the kids that the toddler was frustrating instead of you know this beautiful baby. Um, and I think that it's so important for us to realize that the point of life is to learn. Right? It's not that we do quote unquote school and then we end school and then we're done learning, right? Everything we do day in, day out is learning. And when we replace that learning with, you know, pure, pure entertainment, video games, or just never making our children work, et cetera, then there's a lot less learning going on, right? And somehow we've pulled ourselves away from this model and sent our kids off to a place to learn and then they come home and we just let them play, you know, and, and play is learning for a lot of kids. But the point is, the school of life is what we're all going through, right? The day-to-day, that that school of hard knocks, you know, do your dishes, learn how to make a meal, learn how to take care of your siblings, learn how to help mom out, learn how to go grocery shopping, et cetera. That's life. (laughs) I wonder how many times I've taught my children the lesson that the toddler is annoying. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. I do that a lot. Yep. Oh, all right. So that's number one. The baby is the lesson. The number, the second reason why to teach the kid and not the lesson is that their future depends on it. So knowing their particular learning style and what it takes to learn themselves will affect their future Um, because they're not going to have you by their side to help them learn the lesson when they're in college or when they're in their first apartment trying to figure out their finances or, you know, whatever, whatever situation in the future you're not always going to be there next to them. They need to learn their particular learning styles, how they learn, what works best for them, so that in the future, they've got those tools ready and able to be used. And how much better for them to learn when we're by their side helping them learn? <laughs> Does that make sense? Learning to learn? Yes. Then, yeah, then in the future when they're struggling and they have to learn something new and the best way that they learn something new. Right. If I could give just one piece of advice to anyone who decides to start homeschooling or is forced to homeschool, (laughs) it's that learning at home is where we teach our children how to learn, not necessarily what to learn. Right? Like you said, that's your motto, right? Learning to learn. Yeah, learning to learn. It's not about shoving as much information in their brain as humanly possible. It's about teaching them how they best absorb information so that they can then be the best little sponges out there, whether they go back to public school or they go to, or when they go to college or they just go to their first job and they need to learn quickly, right? Those study skills and those um, techniques for how to retain information and really make it a part of them is, is so essential. And just think how much more productive you and I would have been in college or once we left home if we had already learned really great studying skills or our strengths and our weaknesses for learning. There were a lot of things I did that I'm like, oh, this is, I don't learn well like this. Why do I keep doing this? You know, um, <laughs> imagine if we had learned that in in elementary school or middle school, right? Yeah, that is so true. I actually heard a college professor, I, I read an article written by college professor Susan Weisbauer, and she said that much of the first semester and sometimes the entire first year of college is helping students learn how to learn Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and and if that is already learned then you know that that the child that already knows that is much better set for college 
than those who have to learn how to learn first. Okay, so once a child knows how to learn, the entire world is open up to them. There is nothing they can't conquer if they know how to learn. So any any problem, any situation that comes at them, okay, this is something that I can conquer. This is something that I can solve because I know how to learn. I know how to problem solve. I know my my strengths and weaknesses and the best ways that I learned something. And so this can this too can be um learned. And that's just such a cool thing to me to think of my kids going out in the world and there's nothing, nowhere that they can't go, nothing they can't learn if they know how to learn. It is so empowering, totally. And we'll talk a little bit more later about how we can keep our children's minds open to the things that they learn. That That's very much in our power as well. Um, but just, yeah, just think of what what their potential is if they realize how smart and capable they are and that that with the right amount of work they can do anything. I just love that. One other thing I wanted to say about their future is this. As sad as it may seem to us with little kids who can't imagine them ever growing up, the whole point of being a parent is to make yourself irrelevant, right? There a good parent trains their child to not need them. Because if your child's yeah. 18 and he still needs you to wipe, wipe his butt, right, like you were saying, <laughs> or to tie his shoelaces, I mean, obviously those are silly examples, but what about to remind him of his doctor's appointments or to fill out his paperwork for him or many things that teenagers are still allowing their parents to do for them, then we have not done our job, right? And even though it's sad to think about your children leaving you, the fact of the matter is we want them to. We don't want them to live with us forever. We want them to spread their wings and live these amazing lives without us eventually. And they can't do that unless we teach them how to be independent and how to learn new things on their own. And the earlier we do that, the better off they'll be. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose they could go forth in life without us giving them them giving them those skills, but it's going to be like they have a burden that they have to shed before they can fly. Does that make sense? Right. And they'll be the world's worst roommate too, until that settles in. <laughs> I'm sure we've all had roommates that like, were you raised in a barn? Do you not know how to load a dishwasher? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So moving on to the third step for uh, why we need to be focused on the kid and not the lesson is that your future depends on it. Meaning our future as moms and our future relationships, right? So I feel strongly that we all need to realize that fighting over school lessons or haircuts or what they wear or whatever, whatever we're fighting over with our children will never produce a good relationship either now or in the future. So there's literally nothing that is more important than their relationship, right? Yes, I agree. I I know, sadly, I know many people who don't have good relationships with their adult siblings or their parents as adults or whatever, just because there's so much resentment left from the way that relationships were handled when they were children. And that's really a sad thing to see. So it's like, it's been a focus of mine to think about um, what kind of relationship I want with my children in the future when they're adults. And for me, learning that relationships are just as important, if not even more important than the education or the lesson or whatever I'm trying to teach. It's been really key in helping um, be able to focus on teaching the kid and not the lesson. Right. And if you've ever been in a bad place with your relationship with a child, how, um, how open are they to learning from you? 
<laughs> Not very. <laughs> no they'll likely run off and slam their door in your face and you know like if that relationship is not there you know like we were saying i think in our homeschool obstacles episode they might still go to school and do what the teacher tells them to do because it's their teacher and it's this other this other authority figure they won't do that as a parent which is both a blessing and a curse right you can't just demand things and they come back and do them you have to have a relationship there, right? And when you do, then there's nothing that they won't do for you, right? Because they love you. They, they know that you love them. Um, but that has to be essential. That has to be first priority. Right. I find that so much with teenagers that how it comes out, if you're not in a good place in your relationship with a teenager, how it comes out is they just question anything you say. <laughs> oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or they debate you. You know, teenagers are really good, can be really good at debate. <laughs> But when you're in a great relationship with at the teenage level, if you're in a great relationship, it's like you're a team working together to to conquer a knowledge or a subject or a topic. And it's not like you're working against each other, but together you can help each other learn this new thing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I wanted to share that every time I I get into a fight with my kids over something, Um, when I walk away, you know, it doesn't sit well with me, right? We've just argued or maybe raised voices at each other. And when I humble myself, which sometimes takes just a few minutes, sometimes takes a long time, then I always feel inspired to fix the relationship, right? Very rarely, in fact, never do I feel like we really just got to go hammer that math concept back in, even though he was fighting me over it. No, I don't feel like that. (laughs) I always feel inspired to go fix what went wrong between us when the emotions ran high or whatever. And I... I really feel like there is nothing more important than your child feeling unconditionally loved and accepted. And if you're fighting with them over something that in the long-term scheme of things is so non-important, like math, not really that important. They'll figure it out, right? (laughs) That math lesson that day is what I'm saying is not nearly as important as their feeling loved and unconditionally accepted by you and not that there's something wrong with them or they're broken or they can't, they can't learn this thing. Right. Um, so I always feel like I have to go back and fix that relationship. So they come out of that. And I'm not saying I'm perfect at it by any means at all, but that's just always what I felt like I needed to do in that situation. Yeah. That's like what I was sharing on our episode on the, when Rachel interviewed us on the three and 30 podcast about how one of my children feels like they need permission to fail and like we're the safe people that she can express failure to and then she can go out and succeed once she has once she knows that we will accept failure from her and so that's a similar thing that um like even in failure that relationship needs to be accepting and loving and so that they can go forward and and learn so now we're going to move on to the how of Maybe, maybe all your, all our three whys resonated with you and you're like, yep, yep. Okay. I see that. I realize that, but how do I make this happen? (laughs) So now we're going to share three hows of how to teach the kid and not the lesson. The first how is learn their learning style and your own, because sometimes you're trying to teach them using your learning style And so it's good to know what your learning style is. Um, But if you're trying to teach them with your learning style and their learning style is a different method, they're just maybe not getting the concept because you're, you're not in tune with their learning style versus your learning style. 
Yeah, totally. And I will share here that if you put the work in, in, in figuring out how your child best learns and their motivation and strategy and everything, it will pay off in every aspect of life, not just in school. So if you're thinking, well, I'm only going to homeschool for two months. I'm not, kids are going back to school. I don't need to put forward effort in this. It will really pay off everywhere. Um, I have, I still need to do a lot more work in this area personally, but the little work that I have done has been so rewarding. So a few examples, um, that I'm going to share are, have to do with personality, um, languages, right? Different personality types, right? So, um, one resource that I love, and I've talked about it a couple of times on the show is, uh, the five love languages of children. Um, that one is excellent for figuring out how your child is motivated and what makes them tick. Uh, there are so many personality profiles you can do different, uh, types of tests, right? There's the Myers-Briggs Enneagram. There's one called 16 personality factor. And then there's like a bazillion more. Those are just a few. (laughs) So go out there, do some research, ask some friends. Maybe if you have friends that are really into that sort of thing, maybe you can get a, a recommendation and then go take a few little quizzes with your kids in mind and try to figure out what makes them tick. These things, figuring out their personality and the experience of watching your child grow up can all teach you really essential lessons on how they tick. Yeah, we have found it so helpful also to learn um, more about our kids' personality types. And yeah, I I just love that kind of stuff. (laughs) So I was going to recommend Kathy Duffy. She has written several books and she's gotten a website, but she specifically focuses on um, children's learning styles and choosing the right curriculum and approach for different learning styles. And she basically breaks it down into four four learning styles. And she's named these each by, um, she just gives them the name. So like Will, Wiggly Willie is the first one, but it could be a boy or a girl. She just gave it that name to help you remember. So a Wiggly Willie is a child who learns best by doing, the hands-on learners. They move around, they're jumping, they're always on the move, right? They have short attention spans, but it's interesting to see how they're attention span lengthens when they're doing something that really appeals to them. So anyway, I'm just going to read, I'm just going to go through a tiny bit of each one of these. And if you're interested in learning more about your child's learning style, you can dig into this deeper. So the second one she calls Perfect Paula. And this is the responsible child who likes to see everything's done correctly. She likes things to be clearly structured, planned, organized. (laughs) She has a narrow comfort zone and and feels more secure when things are orderly and not very um they seldom act spontaneously and creativity isn't really their thing so that's perfect paula competent carl is the third one competent carl likes to be in control of himself and his surroundings very analytical and trying to figure out what makes things tick problem solving is something they enjoy and um they're Analytical and logical bent typically makes math and science their strong subject, while the subjective humanities are like their weaker, weaker subjects. And then the last one she has, um, she calls sociable Sue. And sociable Sues are, of course, sociable. They're warm, responsive. They're interested in people. Um, their interest expands as they get older and mature into ideas, principles, values. They're like big picture people. Concepts are more interesting to them than details. And uh, anyway, they want to understand how different cultures and events affect each other. So you can probably just listening, think of those four categories and maybe 
one or two of them really resonate. Oh, yep, I've got a confident Carl and I've got a perfect Paula, you know, or whatever. And then she, on her, in her website and in her books, then she actually goes through quite a few homeschool curriculums and says, now a perfect Paula will prefer this type of curriculum or this type of learning style. So that is a really neat thing to dig into when breaking it down that way. Oh, that's cool. I'll have to check that out. And it sounds like that might be a um, fairly simple model to teach your children themselves, right? Like to help them understand it a little bit. Yeah, definitely. So that they can, um, you know how they learn and then you can start teaching them about how they learn and, um, and pick out curriculums and things that work for them going forward. Right. And obviously that's probably not something you're going to be doing with your five or six year old, but maybe as they get a little little bit older, you'll say, do you see how you really, really love these workbooks versus this hands-on activity that we do for learning? That's because you're more this way, don't you think? You know, and and get their feedback, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And it also helps like if you're trying to teach math by using worksheets and it's just not working, well then get some manipulatives and let them, you know, move around these manipulatives at at the real young age before you can teach them about their own learning styles. Yeah, totally. Okay. So number two on how to do this teaching of the child is, uh, we just wanted to say that you are always able to pivot if something is not working right. So you're never cemented into doing things one way or another. And this goes for school as far as well as, um, disciplining your child, chore charts, uh, just any number of things, how you, approach this child, you can always change what you're doing if it doesn't work. I find that when we teach to their strengths, instead of emphasizing their weaknesses, that we instill confidence and um, a desire to work harder in them. I find that sometimes I emphasize their weaknesses without even trying. Like, for example, we were working on some math the other day with one of my kids and he was having a really hard time with it and he was getting the answers right, but it, it just was not how his brain was clicking, right? And I found myself saying, why is this so hard for you? You know, that kind of a thing. I was trying to understand why he was struggling, but really I think I was just emphasizing that this is not your strong suit. And I don't want him to think that. I don't want him to think every time he sits down to do his math lesson that I'm not good at this, right? But we do that sometimes without even thinking. Um, And sometimes they themselves can even hold themselves to a really high standard and just kind of beat their head against the wall where they keep trying the same thing over and over. And you can then step in and say, hey, why don't we try this a different way? Let's look at it from this angle. Is that easier for you, right? <laughs> yes, that is so, so true. And um, my husband often quotes this thing that he's, I, I don't know, our entire marriage, I, so I don't know where he's got it, but he says, insanity, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing while expecting different results. <laughs> <laughs> yep. uh, so definitely pivot if it's not working. And this is where... Um, like like you were talking about the personality types and the love languages and all those. Um, we discussed those in depth in episode 32, and we called it one-on-one time with kid, but kids. But we really, what we really mean is connecting with your kids in the way that they need. So, you know, if you've got a child that's just not learning math by the way that you're teaching it, so then you learn you learn their, maybe their personality type and why they're so prone to get frustrated over math or, you know, whatever, and then connect with them the way that they need and say, you know, this doesn't mean that you're not a good person. It just means that this isn't your, the way that you're learning. And we need to try to help you learn a different way to learn this, this topic. 
Right, right. Remind them that, hey, you can be good at whatever you want to be good at, but this might just not be the best way for you. Okay, and the other thing I want to say about this aspect is that we can always ask our kids what they feel like is working for them and what isn't. Sometimes we have really awesome kids who don't complain a lot or who uh, just push through even when the going gets tough. And we might not be aware that the way we're trying to teach them or get them to work or, or motivate them is not working, right? That they're they're unhappy in this way, but they might just keep it quiet. So it's very, very useful to just ask them, say, what do you love about school? What do you love about your chores? What do you love about your day in general? What works well for you? What, what part of the day are you the most excited about? Um, what makes you get up in the morning? Uh, and, and then see what they dislike. What what do you just totally dread? And if you could take one aspect of your day out of the day, what would it be, right? And just kind of get some feedback. And pretty much anyone over, over the age of about four can have a great conversation about this, right? Well, I hate my chores. Why do you hate your chores? Because I'm a big kid. I can do more than just dump garbages. Okay, great. You know, now we know he wants to move on <laughs> to some bigger chores, right? Uh, and then make some notes about what makes them happiest. See if you can incorporate more of that into their day. Those are such good tips. Yeah, I had a little example I wanted to share. So there's three basic learning modes. Auditory, which is hearing. They hear it. It's out loud like audiobooks or, you know, a little song to help them remember their pronouns. Uh, visual, which is seeing it or reading it. These are the readers and the, and the people that, that see it. And then kinesthetic, which is feeling it, feeling it out. So like math manipulatives and that kind of thing or experiencing it with the body. So... Um, I, one of my um, older children was a terrible speller, like even the most obvious little three-letter words. She would spell them wrong every single time. And I was getting so frustrated. I would get her spelling workbooks and she'd write the word 20 times. And then the next time she was doing something for creative writing, she would spell the word was wrong again. <laughs> you know? oh, and it was so frustrating. So finally, one day, I don't know how this came to be, but she said, she got to the point where she was saying, mom, how do you spell? And she would ask me. And so then I would spell it for her and she would spell it correctly on paper. So, you know, she, she was doing that. Mom, how do you spell? And I said, well, how do you think it's spelled? And she paused for a moment and she spelled it perfectly. And then this, like this little light bulb went off in my brain. And I said, that Yeah, that's right. So then how do you spell? And I gave her another word that was a little more difficult and she spelled it perfectly. And huh. so then I kept going through harder and harder and harder words. And any word that I asked her to spell out loud, she spelled it perfectly. Like, like I, I wish she was in public school and could be in a spelling bee because she would have won <sighs> any spelling bee anywhere because it, like I was in the dictionary looking up words. <laughs> Wow. And any word that I ask her to spell out loud, she could spell perfectly. But on paper, oh my goodness. So that's when I realized, okay, there is an auditory aspect to her learning that I have not been taking advantage of. And that was just a little little time that it happened for me where this light bulb changed, came on and I had to pivot and change direction to help her learn better. Wow, that is fascinating. And it doesn't make any sense to us, right? Like, no. well, if you know it in your head, you should be able to know it. But, exactly. but as kids, and as kids, I really feel like certain aspects of their brains develop faster than others, whereas as adults, we're kind of balanced all around, right? But you might have a kid who really, really excels in one area and is terrible in another one, like you're saying. Um, and we need to be creative enough to find that area where they're 
where they're really excelling, right? And and if and if there isn't any area and there's some learning disorder or some issue that you can't figure out, then get them the help they need, right? So I had a similar experience with a child who had a couple of learning disorders. We just couldn't couldn't break through this wall, right, for reading. And we were able to get her a tutor who was very well trained in this like alternative method of, you know, phonemes and figuring out how words get put together. And this child has just shown, like she just does an amazing, amazing job with this tutor. I never would have been able to help her out like that because I didn't have the skills necessary to show her that different way of looking at it. But thank goodness we found somebody who did. (laughs) (laughs) And that brings me to my last point on this, on uh, this pivoting aspect. Don't assume you know your child's best way of learning, right? Um, Your assumption is probably right because you've been around your kid more than anybody else, but just don't, but don't always assume if you try a different style or experiment around a little bit, you might find something that works even better, even on a kid that's already succeeding. So just get creative, right? And ask kids what they think, mess around a little bit, see if, if they can't do even better. (laughs) Yeah. You know, another aspect of this is to pivot when something is working with a child, just, just for a day or two and make them do it differently um, like that really, like it, it can frustrate them, but it also can really stretch their brain and their creativity and their idea of how to do something. And then when they go back of doing it the way that they like to do it, they do it even better because they've seen how difficult it is for them to do it another way. So that's kind of a fun thing to try sometimes too. Oh, oh yeah, that would be fun. All right. So number three, how is find the true meaning in the lesson and teach that. So you're struggling to help a kid learn how to do math story problems, and it's just sucking the soul out of both of you. (laughs) Well, what is the point? What is the true meaning in the lesson? And and try to teach that. So we're going to get into this more in just a minute. Yeah, I I think that this is an essential um, aspect of teaching kids because we have to realize there are some things and some um, subjects that each kid will not want to learn, right? I have a kid that dislikes math. Why do we keep bringing up math? (laughs) Is math difficult or something? (laughs) I have another kid who is not really interested in science at all. Another one who thinks writing is torture, right? And that's okay. Um, I can make those lessons about obedience, right? I could say, I'm sorry, you really dislike that, but you do have to learn math at some point. You're just going to, I'm just going to make you do this for 15 minutes and we can move on to something you love. We're not saying that you're going to get your child to just jump out of bed so excited for every subject. That probably isn't going to happen. But um, if they're constantly complaining and feel like everything is drudgery, then maybe something needs to shift, right? Um, And if something isn't working in your relationship or in in your teaching with your children, Maybe the lesson that's meant to be taught is your lesson, like you're saying, right? (laughs) Maybe you're the one that's supposed to be learning, oh, you know, stop forcing the thing that's not working. Let's try something new. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And then like another example of this that I was thinking of was once a child has mastered a concept, it's really, um, and, and you know that that's the concept. Okay, so just using math, let's say they have their 12 multiplication tables memorized but they are still required, let's say by worksheets sent home, <laughs> to keep doing 12 multiplication tables over and over and over again. Well, if they've already learned it, it's really just um, demeaning 
to require them to continue doing work that they have already mastered. So that that's another thought for me in this. Like my child is not going to gain anything else by continuing to do repetition when they've already learned something, but they could and will possibly learn something by going outside and playing for the rest of the, you know, the afternoon since they've already mastered that concept. So focusing on the true meaning, hey, there this this lesson is designed to teach them multiplication tables. They've got it. Great. We're done. Go play. <laughs> I think when we are talking about um, examples, uh, like our examples, that I think what I'm wanting to say, I'll be able to bring in at that point. Okay. So just to recap real quick, the three whys to teach the kid and not the lesson is number one, the baby is the lesson. Don't pretend it's a public school because it's not. You're at home and there is piles of dirty laundry. <laughs> Number two, their future depends on it. Knowing their learning style is going to put them ahead in life. And number three, your future depends on it. So your relationship, your your future with your child depends on how you teach them now. And then the three hows. Number one, learn their learning style and your own so that you can help them be the most effective in helping them. Number two, a big one, pivot. If something's not working, do not continue letting them beat their head against the wall or you beat your head against the table. (laughs) Pivot. There's other options, we promise. And then number three, find the true meaning in the lesson and work on teaching that. And now we wanted to each share how we've put this into practice, just like a little example of something we've done. Yeah, so I... I, this was a little bit harder for me to think of simply because I, this is a weakness of mine is, uh, getting creative and finding a new way to teach my child. I just feel like everyone should learn how I learn. (laughs) So there's your, (laughs) there's the true life aspect of this, that, uh, we are not perfect at this, but I will say that, um, for me, the most difficult kids to try to find a way for them to learn is the ones who are motivated by play or by having a good time, because that is most definitely not my motivation. I mean, having fun is great, but that's not what motivates me. Um, (laughs) And so I've been like, it's not time to play. It's time to sit down and work. And then I'm thinking, but why does their work have to be unpleasant, right? Why can't work be enjoyable as well? Like I enjoy my work, right? Um, And so I've had to put aside things for two kids in particular I'm thinking about. I've had to set aside all worksheets, Anything where they fill in blanks, these kids loathe. They, it feels like drudgery. It feels like busy work. They hate it. Even though I personally am a worksheet lover, I would fill up. I love filling out paperwork at the doctor's office. It's just fun for me. <laughs> I like fill the blanks. I don't know. So I've set aside all of those. I've all also set aside, uh, for the most part, any writing that is uh, comes directly from a book and is required. Like if they have to open up a writing book and like follow this prompt, they are uninterested, and it's like the worst possible torture. So instead we've had had to allow them to come up with their own prompts like, okay, well you have to do writing. What would you like to write about today? And they will come up with some of the most creative stories, the best kind of persuasive writing prompts. They're like trying to convince uh, Santa Claus to bring him the whole moon. You know, like they're just so creative and clever things that I never could have come up with because I've put some of the power back in their hands. And this has this has re- we've really seen pivots in every subject for these kids because it's so opposite as to how I motivate myself that I've had to say, all right, what do you want to do? Tell me what would make you think that science is, is fun and enjoyable and let's see if we can work out a way there. So just kind of a lot of little examples there. 
Yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty similar. I, I've done a lot of those things too. And I think that's just the basic idea here. But okay, so one example um, for us is I have a son who just loves to be outside and in nature. And he's like a true, oh, I don't know, native. He would go back to the land if he could and just, you know, like mm-hmm. camp out in the woods and <laughs> never, never come like he'd sleep out there and eat out there. So um, one year I was getting ready to, in the summer, I do the prep for the school year ahead. And I was talking to him about what is science, the, some options that I think is science would be. And he basically communi- communicated to me that if he had to sit down and learn science from a book, he would die. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, okay, so what would you like to learn this year for science? And immediately he got all excited and he had an answer. He said, I want to know what plants are in the woods that are edible and what what I could use to heal. And like if I got a cut or if I got poison into poison ivy or whatever. So that year I made our science, I kind of... Um, I made our science fun. I was like the fun mom on science for a year. But I made our topic the flora and fauna of our local area. And we went on nature walks and we gathered specimens and we brought them back. And then that's when, you know, the book learning part of it came in. And he would he would voraciously dig through our local plant plant books and and find out, okay, what is this plant that we brought back and what's it good for and what can we do with it? And we had some books about foraging. And then we would spend one day of the week cooking um, up some of these, you know, so we'd find out, oh, the the tree, the bark of this one tree, if you boil it with sugar in water, it makes the most delicious syrup you could ever imagine. And then he learned um, which plants are good as an anecdote to poison ivy. And um, and then we did some art things that were all um, designed around these, these nature walks. So we would take a journal out and we would draw what we saw in nature and we would bring back things and we would press them and make bookmarks and we would just all sorts of stuff, everything designed to to feed his love of being in nature. And and that was like his best year of science ever um, because he was inspired to dig into the books and to dig into the topic and the subject matter because it pertained to something that he really wanted to know about. So that was one time where I decided to pivot and make the lesson about the kid. <laughs> and that That's was really cool. that was a really good experience. That's really cool. And one of my fun loving kids would have loved that. So maybe I'll send him to you for science. That sounds great. And there were other of my kids that that would have that would have been torture to them to learn science that way. But that's what worked for that kid. I think that works really well where you are, too. I feel like our nature walks would just be like, let's point out all the things that can kill you in the desert. <laughs> this There's is nothing I'm going to boil for yummy, <laughs> yummy syrup. No, it's like, oh, don't eat that cactus or that one. <laughs> Okay, so that is it for today's episode. We hope that we have helped you to see why it is so important to teach the kid and not the lesson and how rewarding that can be for both of you. And in a show note, in the show notes, we're going to link all those things that we discussed um, so that you can find out more about your and your child's learning styles also. Yeah, thanks so much for listening. 
Thanks so much for tuning in. Did you know you can help the podcast in several ways? First up, we're on Patreon, and there are three different levels to support us there. Just head to patreon.com slash outnumbered. Next up, if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a written review on iTunes. It helps other parents find the podcast and receive the help you're enjoying. And finally, you can follow us on Instagram at outnumberthepodcast. We're always having fun over there, too. As usual, if you have any questions or ideas for future episodes, you can reach us at outnumberthepodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for all your support. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.